We are currently in the middle of a series on justice. We as a church are reading through the book of Luke, two chapters a week. Um, We are currently in chapters 11 and 12. If you want to catch up with where we're at, we've recorded all of them on our podcast. And there's also a lovely person reading the chapters for you every week. So if you want to read along, if you want to listen along, there are some options for you. Um, So, so far this week in chapters 11 and 12, Jesus teaches his disciples the Lord's Prayer. He has a chat about some demons. Go and see my talk from last week if you've got questions about that. Um, he gives some really classic teaching, gets in a bit of a fight with some super religious guys called Pharisees. Um, he gives some teaching on hypocrisy, on money and possessions. He tells a whole bunch of parables. Um, I mean, if there was ever a week where we could be highlighting the theme of justice, again, it's loud and clear in these two weeks. Um, so I've infri- invited my friend Matt to come uh, and share with us today. Uh, Matt, why don't you introduce yourself uh, a little bit? Tell us where you're from and what you spend most of your time doing. Hello. Is this on? It, it is working, is it? Yeah, yeah, it is working. Okay, yeah, yeah so uh, I, my name is Matt Hyam. Uh, this is my wife, Georgina. We are from Southampton, although Georgina is originally from Northern Ireland. Um, I'm originally from Luton, which is why I live in Southampton. Uh, and uh, up until last year, I was leading Southampton Vineyard. Um, as I have been doing for 29 years. Um, and now I work for World Vision uh, as a church engagement specialist. So my job is uh, building relationships with churches and um, helping them to use their money to help people, the, the most vulnerable children in the world. Is that about right? That is, van- yeah, fantastic. So this is kind of part one of two talks that we've asked Matt to come and do. So Matt's going to come back and speak to us at the end of May about his work with World Vision and what that looks like. But I just thought before he does it, it would be brilliant for him to come and speak to us today whilst we're really focusing on the theme of justice, um, because I want to kind of hear some of the stuff that Matt has to say, because I think he has a really valuable perspective um, for us. Uh, Matt's also written a whole bunch of books. This is the most recent one he's written. Um, It's called There Must Be More to This, Reimagining Evangelical Faith with Justice at the core. So you can imagine that this has been very formative in why we're, <laughs> why we're talking about this. It's been um, checked by Steve and he's mostly okay with it. Yeah, so Steve the theologian has given it the wibbly wobbly <coughs> thumbs up. So yeah, mostly it's good. Um, so I have really, I mean, look how short this book is. It's absolutely fantastic. This is, there's like no waffle in here whatsoever. It gets straight to the point. <laughs> Um, Emily and I have both read this and have really, really, really enjoyed it. Uh, I can promise you a couple of things. Number one, you'll enjoy it. Number two, you won't agree with everything that Matt says, but that's kind of the point. It will really, really challenge a lot of the stuff that you, especially if you've been a Christian for a little while, it will be very challenging for you. Uh, But I think in a really, really good way. Um, And I actually have five copies here, which I've already paid for. So if anybody wants one, first five people to come and grab it. Well, come on then. There you go. There's one. There's two, well done, play the game. So there's three more, if anybody wants one, come and grab it, you're very welcome. Um, Oh yeah, what words were? (laughs) It's the bits that Steve wrote that have been redacted actually. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Um, So yes, so we've asked Matt to come and share just some thoughts on chapters 11 and 12 this week. Um, Now, if you've been to Gloucester Vineyard Church before, you'll know that this is usually a two-way conversation. So I'm going to ask Matt a whole bunch of questions, but if you've got any questions from the chapters and you'd like to know the answers, pop your hand up, 
or shout really loudly, and, and Matt will definitely respond to them. I won't, but Matt will. Um, you're very welcome to. But anyway, Emily and I first um, met Matt whilst he was leading Southampton Vineyard. Uh, we were down in Southampton because Emily was training to be a nurse, and I was gardening, which was great fun. And we encountered this vineyard church. Now, I heard, I'd heard all sorts of dodgy things about the vineyard, all of which turned out to be true. Um, but I'd never been to a vineyard church before. And what we discovered was a really wonderful, authentic, honest bunch of people where there was no pretense whatsoever. Basically, what you saw was what you got. Uh, they all seemed to take Jesus' life and teaching really seriously and challenged each other to live it out no matter how hard it was. Um, Matt, why don't you tell us a little bit about Southampton Vineyard, about maybe how you first met Jesus and some of the values that you felt should be a kind of important part of that church. Um, I became a Christian when I was 18. Uh, my best friend became a Christian when we were both 16, and I uh, set about making his life a misery for two years, uh, and finally ran out of excuses and I gave my life to, uh, to Jesus. And I, I went to university at Southampton, and and then in our final year as a group of us started meeting up uh, and that basically sort of disintegrated into what became Southampton Vineyard um, <clears throat> and we didn't have a clue what we were doing uh, so we just kind of we tried to just just do naively what what Jesus taught we tried to place uh, accountability and living our lives in common uh, as central to everything we did we kind of read the stuff that Jim, John Wimber wrote, and we said, okay, so we'll, we'll do those things. Um, and, and so <laughs> being accountable and, and really genuinely having relationships was always central to what we did. And I think, you know, we kept, we kept finding out that we were wrong about stuff and then having to readjust it. Uh, and then finding out we're wrong about other stuff, and then having to readjust. But basically, we, at the heart of it, we just uh, we just want to we just want to be faithful to God. We want to be obedient to God. We want to be people that look like Jesus. And um, and so you know, we just kind of muddled through, making loads and loads and loads and loads of mistakes, and and really upsetting people along the way. And um, yeah. Uh, yeah, what else do you want to say? So, so I, I went through a process uh, probably about 20 years ago where I went to Spurgeon's Bible College and I had a, a teacher there, a guy called Stuart Murray Williams, who is actually an Anabaptist, and uh, he did some teaching that just, it just blew my mind, mainly because it made me realize why I had felt so uncomfortable about so many things that I'd grown up with um, as a Christian. And so that set us on a very downward trajectory uh, it ruined my career it ruined my life and it was the best thing that could ever happen to me <laughs> um, but it meant that the, the focus uh, he talked a lot about Christendom and the advent of the Christian Empire and and how prior to that um, the emphasis has been so much more on the life and teaching of Jesus really the Sermon on the Mount was uh, I was gonna say the Bible for them but <laughs> You know, it was the main piece of teaching that, that they lived by was the Sermon on the Mount. This is what actually how Jesus tells us to live. So uh, we, we set about trying to become a people whose lives were centered around that. We, um, we made some disastrous changes to our Sunday services whereby we sacked all the bands and uh, we put everyone on a rota. And we said, instead of you coming here to have a feast, we'll have a feast, but you bring everything. 
So the idea was that this Sunday meeting is meant to be the fruit of your lives and not the apex of your lives. And um, it was a difficult time. It was, you know, a lot of people didn't want to do it. People complained that they were having to spend more time with God to compensate for our Sunday meetings. Oh dear, they said it out loud and everything. Um, and so it, it, it was difficult, but, but, you know, we've tried to orientate our, our church around that. And I think for me, someone said to me once that, uh, if if the all the churches in Southampton shut down, would the city notice? And and that really struck me that I, I want I want it to be that we make a difference where we are, and that if we're not there, the city would really notice. Um, and so it was great for us recently. Where where we are in Southampton is, it's kind of like a village, isn't it, Ben Park? It's it is in the middle of Southampton, but it is. It is like a village, and uh, I got a friend who's a professional shoplifter, and uh, we we have this building uh, in the sort of shopping area. It's about there's a few shops in the middle of the village, kind of thing, and there's a micro pub, and they have uh, nowhere to store their beer, so they store it in our garage. And uh, my mate Fast Tony, he said to me, he says, everybody knows that the beer is stored in there, and no one nicks it. He said, nowhere else in Southampton would you get that. Because there's such a, this community feel. And the baker, who's like 150 years old, had been in this community. He said, he told one of our other people in our church, he said, your, your church has added thousands of pounds to the value of everyone's house in this community because you've brought a sense of community here that wasn't here before. And it's like, I could die happy with that. You know, um, so that, that's kind of, that's what I'm looking for, that we're a people who makes a difference in the community. Yeah, that's fab. I think it's fair to say um, Southampton Vineyard was um, the church where I fell in love with the church, um, where Embo and I kind of stumbled into this community where everybody actually remembered your name and really cared about who you were and how your week was. They ran a uh, cap debt center, which I now have first-hand experience of how eye-wateringly expensive that is. And they ran it as a small church because debt poverty and justice was important to them and so they did and I think Matt's teaching was really um, crucial towards my own spiritual formation because Matt's Matt would often just stand up and say well here's what the Bible says this is what Jesus said and this is roughly what it how it landed for those who heard it so shall we do it then and we were like oh I'm not supposed to actually do it that would be hard and it was but man alive it was fruitful and it was challenging and so Emily and I joined kind of halfway downstream of this process of of, um, of kind of trying stuff, making mistakes. We were part, we, we got some decks out once for worship, that was fun. Yeah, it was good. I remember Emily said once, once we came and there was no chairs, but there was tarpaulin everywhere and piles of compost and potatoes. Do you remember that one? Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. I can't remember what it was for. <laughs> so this, so like doing a paper chain <laughs> on, a sun, on a Sunday, that's nothing compared to what we used to do. I mean, just be grateful there's no compost involved. That in sounds like there must have been corn involved in that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think it was. No comment. Um, so, um, Matt, we're talking about justice um, this term. Can you tell us, what, what does justice, what does that word mean to you? What does that bring up in your mind? Uh, well, I've been listening to your talks that you've been doing over the last few weeks, and I've really, really loved them, actually. Um, and uh, you, you've talked a lot about that. And, and I think one of the key things that you mentioned a few weeks ago was that that, that the concept of justice in, in Hebrew. So the word righteousness in Hebrew means to do right to others, to do right especially to the vulnerable. 
And, and justice means a system of righteousness. Uh, and so I think we in the West can try and make it into a more legalistic thing and miss the whole point of it. Um, and so I, I think I, I, did, I did a master's a few years ago, but the more I've studied, the more I see front and center of the gospel is justice. What, what we would call it social justice, but that, that's what I mean by justice. Front and center all the time. The whole, um, the whole manifesto for what Israel should be, Deuteronomy, is all about justice. It's all about treating fairly. And we were talking about this over lunch, that um, you know, God is really pointed in, in how he uh, talks to them. And he's saying, you know, the, the, you're poor. They are your poor. You are responsible for them. And the, and the poor in the ancient world referred to those who had no uh, say, those who had no influence, those who had no rights. So obviously include economic poverty, but it was, it was so much more than that. And the widows and the orphans uh, and the, the immigrants who had no land and no means of making any money, you, have, you are responsible for them. You are responsible for looking after them. So the whole thing all the way through, you have a responsibility to look after those who are. And this is the manifesto for Israel right at the beginning. Sadly, most of the time they didn't do it. Um, in De Deuteronomy 15, it starts by saying there should be no poor among you. But you don't actually see that realized until Acts, the early chapters of Acts with the early church, which is really sad. But it's front and center of all, uh, of, uh, of all of the teaching. And, and if you start, uh, we talk, did we talk about this week? I, th I said something to you this week, but about the whole, uh, in, in Jesus' teaching, so much of the time, he's challenging the religious leaders for their failure to, to do that. So you talked a few weeks ago about the, the woman anointing Jesus' feet. Well, wh why was she a prostitute? Did she grow up thinking, I fancy that as a career? Or was she just destitute and that was the only option she had? She shouldn't have been destitute because those religious leaders had a responsibility to make sure no one was destitute. So when Jesus says, who sins the bigger one, I'm not sure whether he's talking about her or them. Because he's challenging them. You should have done this. You sh she shouldn't be poor. No one should be poor among you. And so the more that I've read, uh, the more I've studied, the more this, this, is, this is right at the heart of it. And um, I was reading, there's a, a, a theologian, Douglas Campbell. He's written this really ridiculously thick book on, um, on Pauline dogmatics, it's called. And he was talking about the early church and how um, in, in, in Paul's churches, you, you have rich people sitting next to their slave around the table. They sit around the table. This is the church meeting. They share the bread and the wine as equal members of the body of Christ. And it's this incredible radical statement that no matter what your status is in the world, in Christ, your status is equal. And, and you know, actually, church should be built around the whole idea of social justice. The, the people of God should be orientated around that. And that actually, the church didn't do social justice. The church was social justice. There's records of um, one of the uh, emperors in, I think it was the second or third century, who, who was at a loss what to do with these Christians who he was trying to persecute. And he couldn't, 
he couldn't find any and he wrote to one of the high priests he goes what are we going to do with these christians because not only do they look after their own poor but they look after our poor too how how are we going to um, persecute them when people like them because of these things um so yeah it's right in the middle of everything. I'm just waffling, aren't I? You said no waffling, it's good, it's and I'm good completely waffle, demonstrating the opposite. You kept yeah. all the waffle out of the book. You've brought it here today, so it's all good. No, it's great. It's good waffle. Um, so we read this week the Lord's Prayer, and I, I'm sure that for, some, for most of us when we read that, maybe the first thing we wouldn't think of was justice. But can you tell us why that is so key to what you've said about us uh, being a community inspired by Jesus um, bringing justice? I think if you've been around a kind of charismatic evangelical church for any length of time, you will have been taught that, you know, the, Jesus taught us this like kind of like a framework for how we should pray. But Jesus taught them this prayer. They asked him for a prayer. He taught them a prayer. They were used to the idea of having a prayer. And so actually, uh, I think one of the things that I've started to build into my own life is, you know, I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer every day because Jesus tells us to. Um, but what, what strikes me is if you start praying it in the light of, uh, I'm going to live my life today in the light of this prayer, what does it look like when I say, Father, may your name be honored? What does that look like in my life today? What does it look like when I'm asking his kingdom, him to send his kingdom and, and to give us what we need and, um, you know, you pray the Lord's Prayer in the morning and hold your day up in the light of that. Because what it looks like when I go out there and I try to bring honor to the name of the Father and I try to see the kingdom come through what I'm doing, it makes it very hard for me to ignore someone in need. It makes me very hard to, be to behave in a way counter to how I've just prayed. And so I really do recommend getting into a practice. Learn the Lord's Prayer. Learn it. Find it in a translation that is easy for you and means something. And as you pray it every day, think, I'm, I'm going to live this out today. I'm praying for you to help me live this out today. And then see how it changes things. Yeah, I love the way, um, so we're both big fans of the Bible Project, as a lot of you guys are too. And um, Tim Mackey, the main theologian behind that, he often, like, he kind of focuses on praying that prayer three times a day. And he says, if you're praying that at lunchtime and you're saying, give us today our daily bread as you're holding a sandwich, you're thinking, well, I've got a daily bread. And you are forced to think about those in your city that don't have daily bread. It forces you to look around you and notice those um, who are suffering. Has anybody got any questions? Anyone got anything they'd like to say to Matt? I've got hundreds, so by all means, now's a moment to chip in. Stunned silence. It's that clear. It's that good. It's all good stuff. Um, so you've talked about kind of um, some... Can you give us some examples in your life of just things that you've been challenged about, of things that you would never have thought about as being kind of justice issues that have kind of, I don't know, rub, you, because you've been following Jesus, you've found it's kind of been abrasive and you've had to make some lifestyle changes. Yeah, so, I mean, back in the day, like 20 odd years ago, I remember some of the weirdo hippie people in our church coming and talking to me about, we should have fair trade coffee and we should, we should do environmental stuff. And I'm like... It's a distraction to the gospel. But then, you know, Jesus tells us 
that the two most important things that we do is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. He said that the whole of Scripture is basically working out those two things. So that's easy enough for me to do. I'm never going to persecute someone who's sitting next to me. But when I start thinking about, oh, hang on, what am I doing with my money? Where, what's that bank doing? Oh, you know, that's really interesting because they support oppressive regimes. And uh, I'm praying for people in that country and um, while financing them, the people are causing problems. And, and, and what about the clothes I buy? And what about the decisions I make in my life that, don't, that aren't affecting someone I see, but they're affecting someone in a chain? And so that became, that started to make me realize it's not a distraction to the gospel. It, it's a big part of what does it look like your kingdom come. Well, your kingdom come looks like me not buying things that oppress other people or not doing things. It's funny, so I work for World Vision, and we're going through a process at the moment. Um, uh, and one of the things we're looking at is, is our banking. We bank with Barclays. And, and I wrote to the head, and I said, why are we banking with Barclays? They are one of the worst environmental criminal banks in the country. And they also provide arms to the very countries that we're working with refugees in who are refugees because of the oppressive regime and uh, and, and apparently one of the uh, our peer organizations had a similar issue with theirs um, the problem is that because Barclays has branches in the in the countries we work in it makes it more convenient but we're, we're having to work through this we can't be financing the things that we're working against we can't be living in a way that undoes the good we're trying to do so it's really uncomfortable and it's a real pain in the neck, but do you know what, you, you know, it's part of it. We, a part of us loving people is loving people we'll never meet because the decisions we make in the, in the extremely wealthy West has a big impact on other people in the world, including environmental issues, um, obviously. Yeah. Is that the kind of thing you mean? Yeah, that's great, yeah. Okay. Um, and so we're kind of like, you're kind of hitting on that one of the themes that Jesus really talks about this week, which is hypocrisy, which is kind of saying one thing and then doing another. And Jesus had quite a lot to say to a bunch of people called the Pharisees, uh, didn't he? So I think, can you tell us a bit about these Pharisees? Because like, I'm, I'm tempted to read this and think that these guys are the real bad guys here. Am I right in that? Or how should I feel about the Pharisees? You see, you asked Steve to come here deliberately so that you could ask me that question in front of him knowing Would that I? he did a PhD Would I? so much to do with that so you're just trying to get me in trouble aren't you <laughs> yes yes I am I'm I um <laughs> I think they were lovely <laughs> is that correct Steve is that correct <laughs> no I I, I think I think it's you know the whole thing about you put a frog in boiling water, it jumps out. Yeah, you put a frog in cold water and you slowly heat it up and things, and it doesn't notice until it's dead and then it notices and it's too late. I think it's very easy for us to make one little compromise and then another little compromise and suddenly we end up right over there when we meant to end up here. And no one did it on purpose. No one was trying to be malicious. No one was trying to cause a problem. You know, the, 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 the 
the Talmud was, was a genuine attempt to explain the law and make it accessible to people. But when they started arguing with Jesus because he broke the Talmud, he said, you missed the point. And, and we need to be really careful because quite often when we defend good theology, we're actually defending our theology. And I think there is objective truth, but I've never met anyone, even Steve, who has anything other than a subjective view of that truth. And so we have to accept the fact that we're all wrong. We might not know what we're wrong about, but we are all wrong about stuff. So we have to be willing to rethink. But if we are really dogmatic about stuff and we make, you know, and we refuse to be challenged, refuse to be questioned, then we, we end up over there instead of over there. So then we can end up as hypocrites without realizing that we're doing it. Yeah. Did I get away with that? Sorry for being horrible. <laughs> but yeah, I think that, that's kind of, I think it's very easy for us to read the chapters this week and go, oh, Pharisees, oh, you, come on, guys, pick yourselves up. But I think the heart of these guys was really pure. What they wanted was to be faithful to Jesus. They wanted to, well, sorry, they wanted to be faithful to God. They had a problem with Jesus. They wanted to be faithful to God, and they thought they knew exactly how to do that, and they were pushing hard against what they felt like was, was kind of, uh, was, was a problem, was the problem with the way that Israel were living. So, you know, fair play to these guys. Jesus gives them a hard time, but in many ways, it's probably because they were so close rather than because they were kind of polar opposites. But Jesus gets... Think, can we just come back on that? I think one of the, the big things is that how you respond when you're challenged like that is the key. Do you dig your heels in and solidify your position and refuse to back down? Or do you accept or even consider the fact that you might be wrong that's that's to me that's the difference between messing up and being a hypocrite when i refuse to listen then then i'm a hypocrite so why don't you just unpack that a little bit more for us because i think that's the thing that jesus really uh, was pushing against was this idea of hypocrisy because and i think that's something that we can really struggle with as well i think we can say oh yes i i want to support xyz cause i want to live in this way and yet sometimes our lifestyles um sometimes even without us thinking about it are going in exactly the opposite direction and that's really the thing that i think jesus was looking for was a uh, an integrity between what we say we believe and how we act. Um, can you talk a bit about that? Well, I don't know what to add to what you just said. What you just said sounds to sum it up pretty, pretty well. Thanks, thanks, Matt. That's fabulous. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, that. Um, so I, I think probably my last question for you. Can you talk, unpack to us? I could, get, I could give you an example. Go on then, give us okay, an example. So so back to the whole kind of ethical living and money and stuff like that. So a friend of mine was an assistant pastor at a church that was a vineyard church. And he said to the pastor, we should have ethical pensions. And the pastor said, they don't pay as well. So no, we won't. So I, I know, <laughs> but most, most pensions invest in the porn industry. Most pensions invest in things that actually are high yield and so this pastor's preaching against these things while become being financially dependent on their success um it seems like it seems like a, it's not a minor example actually it's a really serious one but you know that that uh, we should we should do something ethical no because it will be inconvenient there's an issue yeah i think we can all relate to that can't we that 
that uh, when we come up against something, when we become educated, especially with things like climate change, when we, we can kind of easily think about that as, oh, that's just geography, it's just, you know, it's a bit of global warming. But when you start to see the impact that uh, our greenhouse gases, for example, have on nations who are struggling with uh, extreme weather conditions, you realize actually we're not paying the bill for that. We're not footing the bill for that. And like our plastic that just gets shipped off to another shore and we just never see again, like somebody else is picking up the bill for that. And when we realize that, it costs us to step in and do something about it. And that's not always an easy or a comfortable place for us to be. Um, but I think what Matt's encouraging us towards is that if we want to follow Jesus, if we want to be faithful to Jesus, then we need to get this idea of justice in our blood. That when we come up against stuff and when we find stuff that we realize, oh my goodness, my actions have caused X, Y, Z, then we have a process to go through. Um, you know, as, as Matt said, it's that kind of process of repentance. It's about, it's about turning around and saying, okay, I used, to, I used to do that. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to head in another direction. It costs. It costs you personally. It costs you emotionally. It will cost you in, in terms of, you know, I found when I've, when I've spoken out about issues, I've had hate mail, and uh, I have other Christians don't want to know me or treat me badly. I mean, I joked about how it, it, cost, me, it cost me my career, and I, I, I don't say that with any resentment. <laughs> resentment at all I'm really happy but you know there was a point at which we were being groomed as kind of like we had uh, John and Ellie Mumford sort of grooming us to be sort of part of the future leadership of the movement and then and then we plummeted in our favor and I'm really happy about that but it, what I'm, I'm just saying because it costs um, and that's and that's okay because it's um, what are you gonna do yeah because at the end of the day, this is, uh, as Jesus said, love God, love your neighbor. Keep it simple, keep it to those two principles. Um, finally, I think, yes. Would you pray for us? As we are wrestling with um, being a people of justice, as being formed into a people who take this really seriously, um, who, who want to be interrupted, who want to live more uh, ethical, just lifestyles, who want to notice those in the city who we are called to help, just like the Good Samaritan, like we want to be the Samaritan who notices and goes and stops and helps in a generous way. Um, we, just, we just recognize that that's hard. There's work to do there, um, which is why we're giving this uh, an entire term of our attention. And hey, you know what? We're going to be talking about it even after we're done with this term. You lucky lot. Um, so as we're looking to be formed in that way, um, why don't we all just stand up? Matt's going to pray for us. And I just want to encourage you, if this is, if this is your thing, if this is where you're at, to just uh, close your eyes and hold out your hands as if you're about to receive a gift. And Again, closing our eyes is just about cutting out the distractions in the room so that we can focus our hearts and our minds on Jesus. And putting our hands out is just a symbolic way of just telling our bodies, uh, the insides of our bodies, what we want to happen by putting our hands out physically. So Matt's going to pray for us, and then I'm going to play a video. Um, it's a song that we sang a couple of weeks ago, and I'm, I'm going to encourage us to sing along. After we've sung, the kids are going to come back, and we will celebrate communion together.